All right, what's up, everyone? It is Amar. I am here with Janet Hollingsworth, an uh, amazing colleague of mine, even friend. I don't even want to say colleague because I ran into her. She absolutely changed my life. She's the reason that some of you got to see that T-shirt, uh, New Wave shirt, and I sold it around to a few people, but it ended up starting uh, this huge movement for my heart and my creative ability with a group of friends. And I just want to give you a brief summary of who she is. You know, she co-founded Building 61, which is this makerspace out in Boulder, Colorado, in the Boulder Public Library. And then now she's doing, you know, she's the director of entrepreneurism and maker experiences at Washington Leadership Academy, which is super sweet. And I'm excited to talk to her about that journey because that was crazy. And she's an amazing woodworker and engineer. Janet, welcome to the podcast. Ah, thank you so much. I'm super stoked to be here. Yeah, it's, it's just crazy to see you and follow your journey. I've, I've followed you on various different social platforms and just seeing all the different communities you're involved in and the impact you have, it's just very inspiring because you're constantly working with youth. And that's just a huge passion of mine. I'm going, I need to get to her level. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. You know, sometimes I just feel like when kindred people find each other, it just like brings that energy up and up and up and up. And I just remember the first time I met you, like just feeling like I was, you know, talking to another version of myself. It was so awesome. (laughs) Oh, that's sweet. (laughs) I appreciate that. Uh, Well, I wanted to ask, because we were just briefly talking about it before this podcast. But I guess before we go into how this year has been for you and the pandemic and all that craziness, just kind of how you got into building things and your and your love for that. Yeah, I mean, just getting just the idea of, of building things has sort of been in my DNA since I was a kid, but it wasn't really the thing that I had at the forefront of my mind of like, this is what I'm going to spend my life doing. It was more always in the background. Um, so my grandfather was a woodworker and I remember, you know, the smell of his basement and like, you know, wood and tools and, um, just sawdust and just kind of that environment. And, you know, as a kid, just the magic of, of going down into the basement and seeing all those things laid out and projects and plans and drawings and that his creative process was something that was always sort of folded into the fabric of, you know, visiting family. And um, my dad was always making things and, you know, my mom as well. And, um, and we were a very active family. So it was kind of in the background. And I um, started out uh, studying engineering and pursuing engineering for quite a while. Um, But the thing that was missing, and I was feeling a little you know, um, antsy about was that I wasn't using my hands the way I wanted to. And, um, and so it's, it's so funny. Sometimes it's the things that seem the most disruptive and the worst that kind of end up being, I don't know, the thing that puts you on a different course. So I got laid off from being an engineer, um, back when the economy kind of tanked and crashed. And, um, and so I was without a job and that was when I decided to go spend a year living with my grandfather and learning how to do woodworking. And I feel That's like that kind of changed everything. Yeah. Yeah. Totally crazy. I, so like, Oh yeah, go ahead. Well, I just wanted to say, I mean, where, 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 where did your grandfather live? Was it in Colorado or is it somewhere else? No, no, he was in uh, Wilmington, Delaware. So, um, so I, yeah, so I had been in Colorado at the time. Then I f- went to Delaware for a year. It was really like a year and a half. Then came back to Colorado, started a furniture company with my partner at the time um, and just started pursuing creative jobs at that point. Um, 
And, uh, and it was super stressful and exciting and, you know, all the things that come with, with your own business. But, um, but it led me to a job, or I guess it was a, 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 um, a, like a contract position at a library. And then I kind of saw but, but behind the curtain of like what was going on inside public libraries. And it was mm. a game changer. It's like, oh my God, I had no idea that libraries were gonna change the world. And they totally are. <laughs> wow. That's and, sweet. Uh, and that that's like, yeah, so it wasn't planned, you know, getting involved in libraries, getting getting involved in makerspaces. I I didn't I didn't even really know what that was um, at the time when I first was exposed to them. I was like, what is this magical space and like what is going on here? And so that just kind of drove my curiosity to find out more and more and more and more. And uh, yeah, and that led me to to starting building 61. So that That's was sweet. kind of a, a, about eight years condensed into 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love that because I think that just goes to show like for any of the young people listening, even adults, you didn't have a plan. You just followed mm -hmm. a, you know, your innate curiosity and one thing led to another. And you were obviously fortunate enough to have a master grandfather <laughs> that was yeah. good at woodworking to kind of nudge you in a direction. But those kind of... Uh, you can learn from anyone you know you can go to your local I mean we'll talk about more about this but these spaces that exist in different communities and ask for help and you'll probably get connected for the right to the right people it's true and I'll just say this because I don't know if there are people that were wired kind of like me but mm -hmm. it was terrifying to not have control um, like when I got laid off it was a terrifying feeling like I I did not like it it was not my decision I was you know, there's a part of me that li would like to rewrite the history to, to say that I was so, you know, bright eyed about the adventure of it and embracing it, but it wasn't that easy to do. I mean, I was really terrified. Um, it was financially stressful. It was emotionally exhausting. Um, and so I think it was just kind of this realizing that thing that was in the background of my life, like what if I focused on that? You know, it's always been there. This idea of studying woodworking had always been there, but I just thought, well, you know, maybe this is the time to do something different and nobody was hiring. So I took a risk. I mean, it really felt like a big risk at that time. And it isn't until a bit later to have perspective to say that was maybe one of the best things that ever happened in my life, but I just, I just wanted to say that because I don't know if anybody else can relate to that, but it did not feel comfortable at the time. So it's easy to, to paint the picture a little differently, but um, yeah, I don't know. Sometimes adventure is terrifying. <laughs> no, I mean, but you never know the person that emerges on the other side and it's probably easy to say in retrospect, oh, this went great. But in the moment you kind of, and this, at least this was for me, from my experience, it's been, you kind of, you hate to do this, but sometimes your mind just goes there and you kind of question your self-worth. Was I not good enough for the job? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, so, and obviously there's the whole of a company struggling with financially, but then you kind of look at, well, I wasn't getting paid that much. So did they mm -hmm. just think I wasn't worthy of investing it. And, and that's, a, that's, that's a true thing for anyone that can go through that. So yeah, I Definitely. love that you said that. Yeah. Okay, well, I just want to jump to something you said libraries are going to change the world and you got a sneak peek into that go go deeper there so what did you see okay. what and that just led to okay this is it 
Yeah. I, so at the time I wasn't in Boulder, I was in um, uh, Brighton, Colorado. So it's a bit more rural, a bit further to the east. And um, and I saw a library that was doing things really differently. This is called Anythink Libraries. And um, every single branch had a fireplace in it. Every single branch had somebody that greeted you when you walked in the That's door. Awesome. And it was, yeah, it was like, what is this? Like, what is happening? <laughs> <laughs> and and the the one that I ended up working at, um, it had this little tiny maker space. It was you know very modest, maybe twenty feet by fifteen feet um, floor plan. A few sewing machines and a three D printer and a couple other odds and ends. And I just I remember like kind of hearing some folks in there one day and and walking in and it was this um, this older woman teaching somebody else how to use the sewing machine and just community members these were not um, employees of the library and I just kind of had this moment of like oh my gosh like there's something we have we all have skills we all are experts in something what if we could come together or in a space that's creative and hands-on and exchange those skills, exchange those stories in a way that enrich each other and lift each other up into something that's bigger than the sum of our parts. And so I ended up becoming the teen librarian at that library. And we, at the time, had been having this chronic problem um, calling the police, having teens uh, asked to leave the library uh, pretty much on a weekly basis. It was really a, a tough environment in that regard. Yeah. And a lot of the staff was viewing that as sort of the problem, like, or a problem. And I just kept thinking, oh my God, this isn't a problem. We are so lucky. We have teenagers coming to the library. Like what? This is such yeah. an incredible opportunity. You know, what, what a gift, like what a gift to have. And so I just remember kind of reframing it and moving some things around architecturally, like inside of the space, because part of the problem was that the quiet area was right next to the teen area, which is like not a good design flow. So just kind of like doing a couple fundamental things, creating a safe space for these uh, teenagers to come to that was centered around making. It was all about making. And um, we didn't have much of a budget. We used cardboard in the beginning and, and made cardboard furniture. We, you know, so I was kind of tapping into my background, but um, coming up with simple prompts, but giving the students something to do. And it was remarkable. So I would have over 50 students coming to those workshops by the time I left. Oh, and that was just over the course of about a year and a half of uh, working with them. So it, to me, it showed me that community is everywhere. Students have so much to give. I mean, mm. we just have to reframe how we're looking at this situation. And it just felt like there is a powerful platform in making. And it was sort of with that knowledge and with that experience that I co-founded Building 61 with my, um, my colleague, Adam Watts. And so he and I really launched what became a, a very powerful space in Boulder. Wow, I just love that you said you know, teenagers go to the library because I think that is definitely declining big time today. Uh, mm -hmm. I was recently, I've been going to quite a few different libraries in the Denver metro area and quite familiar with Brighton as well. So I know the youth demographic there too. And I recognize how important, you know, a, a space is for the, those type of youth because uh, I've been in a couple schools in that area. So I love that. What I love the most is how you said we reframed, but then I think that I would append redirected that energy mm -hmm. 
oh, you know, this label, hey, we need to call the police or they're doing something negative on the computer or they're Mm -hmm. doing, you know, uh, some, you know, activity on the library property and we need to get them off. But you just said, no, we're going to create the space where we can invite them in. And regardless of what they think they have, they can Mm -hmm. still have a place. And I think that's really your hidden art is that you help anyone I want to frame this right. You help anyone recognize the potential they have within themselves. That's I, I have seen that time and time again with you and just observing how you, you know, interact with people in building 61 in the mm-hmm. makerspace. You were teaching, you know, people of any age, screen printing, woodworking, sewing. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting there going, she does it all. You know? <laughs> <laughs> people walk away after an interaction with you feeling empowered. And that's just so beautiful. So I just wanted to get that off my chest and say that because that's definitely your gift. That means the world to me. And I feel so lucky um, to be in the position. I like to think about it like um, I get to help people discover their superpowers because everybody has a superpower. And sometimes we just don't know what it is. And a lot of times there are voices in society, in our heads, you know, especially the work that I do with marginalized students where the narrative is not, I can do this, or this is a space for me. It's, uh, it's usually like, this is the other, this is another space and I am not welcome in it. And so my job I feel is to really uh, demystify making, not just in the process of making things, but also in who is this for? Um, really changing that storyline and and making it um, truly valued. Everyone has something to give. I believe that. I yeah. have always believed that. And every time somebody walks in the door, you know, it's not just, uh, you know, hey, welcome to the space, but it's also like, I can't wait to get to know what your superpower is. Like, mm-hmm. I get to benefit from that. Like, that's so cool. Um, and so, you know, that part of my job, I consider... Uh, like sort of, I I call it social engineering. When you like see somebody who's an expert in X, Y, or Z, and you're like, oh my gosh, this is great. And then you meet a teenager who is working on a project and, you know, is, has got some really exciting stuff going on. And you just put those people together and see what, what sparks happen. Um, And so, you know, there's something very organic and authentic about that process of learning. And I think that's, that's what really appeals to me about libraries and, and I guess informal learning spaces, even though interestingly, I'm in a traditional school right now, I do try to create an informal atmosphere so that it doesn't feel like school, so to speak, um, because what I want is to have a very different experience. But ultimately, like if I were to pan further out, the real experience is to make school eventually all school feel like this you know, um, to change the storyline. I mean, everybody, students, faculty, uh, staff members should be so excited to go to school every day. You know, what if that's what it felt like? You know, if, every time I walk in the makerspace, I feel so energized mm. and I want that, that's what education should be. It's amazing, you know? I love that. And I, what, I, what I love the most though is, and I keep saying love a lot, but that's great. <laughs> I genuinely just love, appreciate your energy in this it's you're just constant both the marginalized you know marginalized youth communities often struggle with access but they also struggle with finding a place to truly call their home many have great homes for sure but it's 
uh, that secondary place where they can really be at home and feel comfortable. I mean, you gave a brief example, just talking about the library had the fireplace. And when is the last library you have a, have a fireplace? But even hearing how you're describing your posture towards it, it's constantly creating that space of belonging everywhere, mm -hmm. you know, yep. and saying, hey, I'm going to see you for who you are right now. And if you're bringing up this thing that you want to venture down, hey, the beauty of this is that I kind of know someone that's already been down this road. Let me connect you, you know, save yeah. you that. Because I think something that's super important to recognize is that young people, if for them to stick with something is really difficult, especially mm -hmm. in this age right now, if, if you get stuck, we're kind of conditioned. I mean, I'll give you an example with just homework. We go straight to Chegg or we go online and search for the answer and we just move mm -hmm. on. Whereas I think there's a really organic uh, process you're trying to cultivate by connecting people and saying, Hey, rat, cause there's an interval, right? When you pursue something, if you're not going to get, if you don't get it, I mean, think about the last, how many people I've even had friends. I want to learn guitar. Well, the moment your fingers start hurting or you can't memorize four or five chords, you just say, all right, this is not me for me. But if you yeah. had someone that's been on this journey and persevered through it and sits with you and Hey, your fingers can hurt less if you do these exercises and you shouldn't start with this song. I, I know you want to play this right. song, but start with this one instead. Definitely. And more of that, just standard education doesn't provide that. Systems aren't in place for that, you know, so. Yeah, I agree. And just to I love of, your thoughts on that. Yeah, jumping on that metaphor that you're talking about with music, I think about music a lot as well. And, and just kind of this notion that the way that the way that I think about school and the way that I think about learning is, you know, it's great to learn your scales in order to improvise, but we really want to be getting to that space because that's the most interesting place to get to is the improvisation of it all, where you're demonstrating mastery and you're dem demonstrating an understanding of the skills, but you're doing it in your own way and you're finding your own voice. And I think that that means it's got to be a very student-centered approach. So that's kind of like as an educator, that's my commentary on that. It really has to be individualized. But I think we can do a better job of meeting students where they're at because there's so much learning that's going on in all of our environments right now. You know, everybody's experiencing the pandemic in our own ways. And there's so much, um, there's just so much to unpack in that and to recognize and, and how do we meet our students? How do we meet where they're at? And how do we bring joy? Like, how do we do that? And I just feel like I'm always asking that question of like, how do we bring joy and, um, and make this more playful? Because things are really pretty intense <laughs> right now. Yeah, totally. And I mean, you're, you're based in Washington. And we were just talking about how mm -hmm. that, you know, re relocating has been for you. Tell us before we jump into just the environment there, you, you know, you're, you're, you left building 61 and I, I still want to touch on that journey, but be, I guess we're here. So let's do it. And I love this part of the conversation because we're <laughs> improvising as well. It is kind of just talking about, okay, Washington Leadership Academy, what sets, why is it different and why you're there? And I want to just share this fun fact. I remember the day that uh, you walked up to me and you said, oh, it's my last day at the Makerspace. And I said, what? And, you, you know, and I was going, what are you talking about? And then uh, you just said, well, there's this opportunity at Washington Leadership Academy. And I looked it up on myself and that school is unreal. And I see why that opportunity was one worth taking, but it's also a hard one. So mm -hmm. 
I'm just glad that you're yeah. on that journey. <laughs> yeah, no, the journey continues. That's for sure. Um, it is a really special school. It is one that uh, really um, defines itself on pillars of computer science and social justice. And I think that that combination is really an important and powerful thing, especially being positioned in Washington, D.C. So we're in inner city D.C. We serve um, uh, predominantly um, uh, people of color, students of color. Um, that is our demographic. Um, and so there's a lot of uh, intentionality around the work that we do. And I am bringing in a maker pathway to the school. So kind of looking at project-based learning and how to do community um, projects where students are developing, you know, ideas of their own, whether that's through an entrepreneurial framework or, um, or taking on other jobs outside of uh, the school. But we're using that uh, lens to really empower students to be the stewards of their ideas and to make an impact right now. This isn't about positioning students to someday do something great. It's like you can do you can do it right now. Let's let's get That's down incredible. to this and let's start making. So one of the things that I think um, makes this at least what I'm doing here uh, kind of stand out and, and somewhat special is that, you know, it's easy for education to become passive. And especially during remote learning and, and asynchronous learning modules and things of that nature, we're seeing kind of this, I don't know, just a lot of passive education, you know, building up and building up. Well, when you're making, you really, it, you're not passive. <laughs> you, you, by definition, are actively doing something. And one of the most beautiful, liberating parts about being a maker educator is that there is no one answer to any given problem. And I think that's the most exciting, like, scenario in the world. Yeah. Because that no rules. Everything. No rules. There's no rule. Yeah, there's no correct answer. I mean, students come, and, and, and then it's really exciting because Students will go online and they'll research things and they'll look stuff up, but it's not like they're looking for the quote unquote answer. They're looking for inspiration, you know, things to um, learn from. That's what lifelong learning is. It's, it's figuring out how to find those resources that are around you and use them to manifest your own ideas into something real. So, um, so I think that that's a really powerful uh, platform. And so the idea of being here at Washington Leadership Academy is that I can work really deeply with students over a long period of time and see just how far we can take them. And that's something that's extraordinary. Um, you know, I, I'm so lucky to be able to have this opportunity. My students are like the they bring joy to me. <laughs> so I feel very lucky, especially in this crazy year. Um, I feel closer to my students than I've ever felt before. And I think it's because we're truly all in this together. And my whole approach and my whole philosophy is that I've never done this before. They've never done this before. Nobody's done a pandemic before. Therefore, it is the great equalizer. And we can learn from each other how we're doing, you know, figuring out like where our temperature is and then figuring out what important work do we want to do that will benefit our lives and our communities right now. And that community could be just a student's family life. Um, so figuring out what kind of projects are we going to engage in to benefit your world. Yeah. Wow. That is, I wish I had, you know, it's like a dream job because of the way you're, you know, uh, painting it. I, how, like, what is one practical way that you've already 
you know, being on this journey, lifelong journey of learning with the kids and no rules, have you ever experienced having a student that still doesn't believe in themselves where they are still not, Hey, everything's all fine and dandy. And obviously you can see the class and having a teacher like yourself nurturing that is great, but there, have you ever had a moment like that and you've had to try something different? Oh, sure. I mean, I, I definitely uh, pivot a lot and pivot often. Um, but just in terms of like setting the right tenor with my students, I think it was in the first class that we, we had together. And I teach a few classes, but in the first class, I remember telling them in order to, to pass this class, you're going to need to learn how to fail. And really I like, love that. Oh, yeah, like just opening up the conversation around failure and discomfort and that when it feels hard and awful and uncomfortable or difficult, or it's not working or it's not turning on, or it's not da, 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 that that's good. Like that's a good thing. That's a good space to get comfortable with. Um, even though initially you feel like this is, maybe this isn't for me, you know, maybe it's time for me to run away from it. Just like you were saying before where, you know, you're trying to practice guitar, but it says, you know, it's not, it's not coming to you. And it's truly in that moment, in those moments of discomfort and, and kind of feeling like a little bit lost that you are activating your brain in a way that's opening it up to what's going to happen next. And it's when you stick with it, that perseverance, that is where creative problem solving occurs. That's where critical thinking occurs. And so these are things that are so nebulous. They're so difficult to um, assess as an educator. So like, as a, like being in a traditional school, I see that, you know, these are skill sets that we want to equip our students with, but there's a lot of reservations around really doing that work because it's so difficult to wrap your head around it. Like, how do you give it a grade? You know, well, don't. <laughs> like, what if you don't? <laughs> that would be awesome. If I, if I go back to school and you just said there's no grades, I would love that. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? I mean, I, I, that's kind of what I believe. I, I think that if you are engaging, if students are engaging, if they are doing a project, if they are working through the hard parts of it, and even if it's not, you know, if it, the LED is not turning on or whatever, um, they're doing it. They're learning it. We're getting into this together. And that risk, taking that risk on is where learning happens. Um, I've said this before, and, and, I, and, I, and I think I, I talked to some other friends about this, but, you know, I think about being an engineer and as an engineer, we test materials to failure. You know, we, we were always doing like material properties and analysis where you test modalities, like different buildings to, to failure. That's how you design things. In education, we test things for success. And I think that that keeps us really short of what's possible. Like we don't know how far we can take it if we're only stopping as soon as things are successful. You know, and I think that when we look at like, I don't know, standardized tests and academic like grading structures, that's a very limited way of defining successful educational experiences. That's one way to do it. And I just feel like there's so much more to learn when students learn how to fail, when they learn how to learn, when, you know, when we're kind of in that uncomfortable space that's past the the traditional structures of education. Totally. So yeah, so that's, that's something that I think about a lot in terms of like, how do we actually get there? And how do we get more educators to feel like they can take that risk? Yeah, I think there's just, you know, 
there's so many limitations as an educator, though. Sometimes you know, I've interviewed two teachers now on this podcast, and they brought up how their counties just prevent them uh, from taking those different approaches. And some of them have said we've just gone rogue and done our own things in our Zoom meetings because they see how, I mean, a second grader is not born, you know, I'm just using the second grader. The second grader is not born to be on Zoom for four to five right. hours a day. They're, <laughs> they're destined to socialize with their peers and have fun and, and, yeah. and not just learn how to mute themselves. You know, part of <laughs> etiquette, social, you know, so the socialization aspect of it is to be in a school, to be, yeah. have that playfulness and that's removed and stripped away. So I think it's recognizing that you have been in this and you recognize it, but it's being in this place of just, your school is constantly saying, how do we move this forward? And I think mm -hmm. I've seen a few, I've seen some of the social media, some of the teachers wearing hustle. Uh, yeah. Yes. I, I love that. That's cool. Uh, but just, you know, bridging the gap, you're not waiting. Let's do it now. That's just, yeah. it's a posture. And I think it needs to be ingrained in the culture. And until that, yeah. until it is, it's just not going to happen. I agree. Yeah. Did you, I want to jump here. Did you end up build, did you build, because I remember right before you left, you'd said I was going to be the one that was building the makerspace at WLA. Is that, did you end up doing that? I did. Yeah. So, and I would say it's still a work in progress, partly because there's been a strange year in the, sure. in the time that I've been out here. Um, but yes, so I've got, you know, a, a nice laser cutter, some 3D printers, um, Hopefully we'll be getting a, uh, actually you'll love this, a direct to um, print garment maker. So being able to oh, do more wow. complicated like screen printing style uh, work. Um, students are really into that. Um, the sewing machines are really popular. And then there's a very small uh, wood shop as well. So um, some of those things have not been used directly by students yet because the, I think the laser cutter was installed at the very beginning of the pandemic. It was about one year ago. So um, unfortunately it's not been used by students. It's only been used by me, um, but obviously that will change. But the way that I have been working since school is remote this year is I basically have students design projects and design their capstone ideas and their gift ideas for others. They, they, they design that at home on the computer. They, they share their design files with me. And then I ask them to treat me like a uh, technician and they have to submit like work order forms and, uh, and I carry out their ideas. So, and then I mail it to them. So like I'll fabricate their stuff and I'll send it to them in the mail. And then we have these kind of longer iteration cycles, but, um, but nonetheless, we're getting at what does it look like to iterate a design? Um, so it's, it's a different process than what I'd prefer. And it's certainly not as quick as what I am, you know, um, as versed in as an educator, but it's, it's exciting to see the students light up when they see their project come to life. Um, and uh, there's, there is something magical about that. So I'm really glad that I'm able to do that for them. It's a lot of work, but, um, but it's worth it. I mean, if I had a teacher that did that, I would be like, this is <laughs> <laughs> um, because I mean, you're sitting there, you have an idea. And then two weeks later, you just submit it yeah. and go build it for me. And then you get it back. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and then I love the aspect of being able to just hold it in your hand. And now you're playing with the thing that was in your mind. It's tangible. Yes. Yes. That's sweet. Did you have full creative power on how to design this makerspace? Because something that is interesting, I was trying to understand this. Building 61 obviously had a really generous budget. Um, mm -hmm. 
with the city of Boulder, and that was awesome. It's a huge blessing. But the, some of the equipment you mentioned is like extremely ex- <laughs> like on the expensive side, and there are definitely right. cheaper ways to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, in your opinion, are there must-haves for a makerspace? And when you were constructing this, it's, you had to give and takes like with trade-offs or anything. Such a good question and something that I've given a lot of consult to others on as well. I mean, I think that you can create an engaging innovation center with the most modest of budgets and almost no equipment, um, just using cardboard and recycled materials and really intentional prompts. I think that um, the, the level of creativity that you can bring to a space is what matters more than the stuff that you fill it with. With that said, um, I did have a nice budget to use um, to build out the makerspace at, at WLA. And, uh, and this was funded by the XQ Foundation. So, um, so we had a nice robust grant that was helping us out. And oftentimes that's really helpful for folks that are trying to create their own makerspace. But um, one of the tools that is the most expensive and I think worth fighting for is a really nice laser cutter. And the reason why, um, if you can afford it, it's because you can actually do production work on it. Um, and one of the things that I want to equip our students with is a skill set that's professional level, that they can be technicians of these machines in the real world. This is not a, a desktop model. These are literally a, a, you know professional grade uh, equipment that they are getting trained to use safely. Um, this is not an easy machine to become a master of. Um, Definitely not. You, you know that. <laughs> so I want to give students that real uh, experience. Again, going back to authenticity and um, and just a skill set that's going to take them far in life. You know, if if students can start their own businesses in uh, in high school and continue to have access to the space as alum, uh, and maybe they go to college and they have access to a makerspace there, maybe they uh, pursue a career um, and have access to the the WLA makerspace, they can continue to uh, manufacture their products and sell them. I mean, that's powerful. There's a lot of, um, not not just powerful for the individual student, but also powerful if we have demo days and startup, you know, events in the community where suddenly, what if like a huge percentage of the people showing up to those events were students from, you know, these, these schools in inner city DC? What an amazing way to reclaim like ownership of something and to make an impact and to get more seed funding, et cetera, et cetera. So my, the capstone project that I have right now for my students to do, I've given them a small uh, seed funding amount. So they, they all have money to spend and they get to decide like what they're going to buy, um, what they're going to make. And it has to, you know, I mean, the, the, the idea is that it is intentional. It is something that benefits our community um, that we ask the questions who is this for? Just as much as we ask the question, who is this not for? And can we make it more inclusive? Can we make it more accessible um, to people with different experiences and perspectives? Or is it something, is it a product that should be focused to a a smaller group of people? Um, You know, these are the questions that we should be asking. Everything is a decision in design. Everything is a decision in our lives. Like whether we become 
architects or coders or whatever, everything is a decision. So knowing that it matters to think about who is this for and who is it not for, those are things that we should be like seeding those uh, concepts with our students right now. So that's really like what um, kind of uh, the philosophy that runs through uh, what I do here. I mean, I don't even have much of a response other than well done. <laughs> because, <laughs> well, because you're speaking, you're speaking such a, an issue close to my heart because I helped lead a few startup weekends and yes, did that work yes. for a minute. And it was tons of older students. I mean, people in right, college, right. which is great. And then older um, mm -hmm. people who are now sick and tired of their nine to five, but very rarely did I see um, just youth at these events yeah. and maybe it was yeah. maybe it was the way it was advertised and that's fine um but uh, you're flipping the narrative right you're giving mm -hmm. these and it's kind of yeah. goes back to the old dodge of you know I can teach you how to fish or I can feed you you know yeah. which one yes right and I love the fact that you're saying let's teach them professional grade skills so that they're just ready that they can start yes. now and going yeah. to that I think we wait so much in you know, even just looking at job searching right now for people who are looking for a job, everything says four years minimum experience or three years minimum mm -hmm. experience. I mean, how much cooler is it to say, well, we've already been teaching our students and just empowering our community at high school level. And so they've already been doing this for eight years. And so they're at the, yeah. at the caliber and maybe not quite, right? There's things you learn on the job for sure, but of a mm -hmm junior or a mid junior I don't even want to use titles but yeah that's where they're at already they're ready to go you know you don't have to exactly work. exactly I mean it's truly setting our students up for success uh, no matter what they end up doing even if it's just a side hustle or whatever it ends up being or even just something that makes them happy or smile or they can yeah, bring joy yeah. to a family member or a friend that alone even just that is totally worth everything the fact that you know that you can make somebody smile you know like that's yeah. important so good <laughs> well yeah my and so many people that follow me know that my motto for like living is if I don't make one person smile at least once a day I haven't truly lived that day and yeah. we don't even go into that in this podcast but <laughs> kind of that I love, just riffing off I of love that, that. Yes, um, I totally feel the same way. I, how, how do you, you know, you've been doing this for almost, I mean, I don't even want to put a limit, uh, an age, not age, a, year, a numerical number on it. Cause I feel like you've just been creating since you've been in college and doing engineering <laughs> and before that, but in building communities as you've gone, is there certain things, you know, have to be principles when building a community? These are the, these are non-negotiables, kind of similar to the CNC machine. If you can get it, that'd be super cool. If you have the money for it, get it. When you're building mm -hmm. a community, is it, can you narrow it down to, you know, a few? And I know that's a hard question, but these are the things that are really crucial for a community to build a community. I think it's, I think it's what I, what I was saying earlier about like what I have my, the exercise that I put my students through is what I put myself through all the time as well in terms of, is this space for everyone. Who is inside of it? Who is not inside of it? Does it feel gendered? Does it feel like certain people own certain parts of it? And if, if the answer to any of that is, you know, yes, it does feel gendered. It does feel a little, um, you know, hostile in certain ways. Then how do we 
dissolve that and recreate something more intentional and more um, compassionate and kinder and more welcoming of questions. Part of it is to say like, you know, ask every question and don't make us make a rule, <laughs> you know, <laughs> open every drawer, open every door. Like, like there is no, um, there should be no limit to what is possible here, but things are messaged, you know, things can be messaged passively, they can be messaged actively. Um, so to create a truly welcoming space is something that you have to work so hard at. Um, and I think that, you know, asking those questions, like when you say like, who is not in this space? Well, how do we invite people in, in a way that's not just inviting them to the table, but kind of building the table together, you know, like, how do we actually do it? And sometimes in my case, you know, I'm speaking as a, as a white woman, <laughs> like a lot of times what it means is get out of the way, get out of the way, make room for others and get out of the way. Know when you can excuse yourself. Um, know when you, you know, bring in outside instructors who look different, who are different, who have different perspectives. Um, you know, in the first year of Building 61, I think our first maker in residence uh, in Building 61 was Luann Burke. Uh, who is a phenomenal artist um, and she is blind. And so she came in and she did a series of workshops from teaching watercolor classes to ceramics to human sculpture. And having that perspective of, of hers um, in the space, it created conversations that we wouldn't have had any other way. And it also messaged that we are a space that 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 is for everyone. And and we don't always know all the answers. I mean, I loved working with, with Luann and with others where they could say, you know what, it'd be really nice if you had a tool that did this, or it'd be really nice if you put some, uh, you know, grip tape on the laser cutter so that I know where the on button is because the, it, it all feels the same, you know, or something like that. As soon as you, as soon as somebody says that to you, you're like, oh my God, this is so easy. Of course. Yes, we'll right. do that immediately. So, but I don't think I would have come up with that otherwise right like it's not for it's that's not knowledge for me to have it's knowledge for me to listen to and to to, to kind of incorporate that in so this is kind of a, a long answer with an anecdote <laughs> inside of it but it does demonstrate that I think it's so important to think about the intentionality of the spaces that we create whether they're learning environments or uh, community centers or whatever it might be classrooms um, just anything, you know, when, whenever we're in a communal space of any kind, what message does this, does this space tell? And, um, and, and just thinking about that, everything is a decision. Everything's a decision. So, you know, in, in another um, sense, I remember um, working with uh, Emily Plotzer and, um, and a couple organizations, I think Out Boulder and a couple organizations in town um, to launch the Pronoun Pin Project, which was that we had a button maker, a one inch button maker, and we um, made a bunch of different pronouns. And, and this, as soon as you walked into the makerspace, we invited you to make your own uh, pronoun pin. And that we, we were saying, we respect this. You know, this is also, it's really fun to make pins. So, <laughs> so, so come do this cool thing. And also, <laughs> you know, this is a space for everyone. So, and this is how we message it. This is how we can um, educate each other and, and be, better allies, be better, you know, whatever it might be. I think that, you know, being humble in that regard is one of the most important things in creating community spaces. That's awesome. I mean, the, 
you can tell that you have been through that through it you know you've been <laughs> right. there's, there's been a pro I mean there's been a level of excavation for even your own heart um, mm. because I could see how someone could come into your space that you've worked hard on that you've laid hours of planning in a spreadsheet on budget and then mm -hmm. you know the actual construction the layout of it and say hey this is just not accessible for me and and you don't, you don't sit there and go, oh, well, we're not going to make it accessible for you, but it's going, mm -hmm. we just built this. Now we might have to expand the doorway to allow for, let me give you an example, exactly. get a wheelchair in here. And exactly sometimes that can, you know, pierce our, our work ethic and our ego a little bit going, mm -hmm. well, I thought I had it all together. I, I've right. been involved in all of these communities, I, but you, okay. you just constantly run into blind spots. I mean, the CNC Always. machine with the grip tape. I mean, yes, so yes, exactly, exactly. And I, totally. I, I mean, those are things that are so um, important. What you're talking about, I think about it all the time, that accessibility is not a checklist. It is a conversation. And it is something that we should be humble to always, no matter who we are, no matter what we come from or, or, or what perspectives or experiences we have. We the ability to listen, to truly listen and to say, oh yeah, let me, let me, let's do that better. Let's figure out how to do this. Um, you know, it's a, it's another version of, um, you know, mirroring, like how do we mirror things, right? Like we, we know that there are mirror re reactors and responses that um, happen as educators and just as people engaging with one another. And one of my favorite things is when a student or anybody asks me a question and I don't know the answer to it because I get to say, I have no idea how exciting, like we get to figure this out together. And I think it's another version of that to say like, you know, accessibility is like that too. I don't know, like, how do we make this better? How do we make this a conversation and a dialogue to um, bring our expertise together to solve these problems? And when we open source that, when we make those questions known to the whole community, um, everybody starts thinking about it. You know, it, it really does message in a way that's louder than, you know, those are conversations that should be happening in a community, not in a room behind closed doors. You know, talking about accessibility is something that, uh, it, you know, and inclusivity and diversity, those are things that we should all be engaging in. Um, and, uh, and so anyway, I, I just, I try to think about that not to um, try to solve the problems myself, so to speak, right? Like as somebody who can be very um, action oriented and very like, you know, do, 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 do. Like I can go, 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 go. Like I like to, you know, I like to check things off of lists, right? Um, but some things are not about me doing them. It's about us figuring it out together. So just remembering that is I think important to, to kind of slow down. Yeah. I would love to know just if, you know, and we can jump to the next question after this one, but is there someone that we could, that you have, you have, that has mentored you in this area or online resource that people could go to? Cause I had a few listeners younger, they're trying to start some things overseas and they've brought that issue up about accessibility that you've kind of learned this from, or is it one of those things where don't necessarily try to learn all the technicals, go ahead and build it. And then ask yourself that question, who is this not for? And how can we take the current iteration of whatever we've built and make it for them? Is, is that kind of right framing or is there something you know about? Yeah, I mean, there, there's a couple of things to just respond to in, in what you said. And I think it's a really important um, question and consideration. 
Um, you know, thinking about your community partners before you start anything is really great. Like that's a really important thing to do. And it will always be regionally specific. You know, some things will always be regionally specific. Obviously like ADA regulations are much larger than that, but the partners that you work with, uh, you know, whether it's out Boulder or queer asterisk or, um, the University of Colorado or different, you know, departments or different startups or et cetera, right? Um, they are going to be stakeholders that are true to your environment, true to your region, and will inform the space in its own dynamic ways. And figuring out how to, um, you know, have those voices um, at the table before the table's built, right? Like that's that's sort of the, the key um, because it's, it's harder to uh, to change a culture than to build it. You know, like changing the direction of a giant ship <laughs> takes a lot of effort, takes a lot of energy. But if you're building it and you're always kind of inviting perspectives in and inviting um, people in, I think that you can um, make a very welcoming environment. Um, and that's not to say, you know, I mean, there's obviously like a core team at the end of it that makes decisions and executes things. You can't be run by a committee of 5,000 people, but you can create intentional spaces for groups to come in and inform, you know, different types of projects that you might do or different considerations of navigability in the space or um, different kinds of programs that you use are uh, a huge one, right? Like um, if, if Building 61 only uh, ran files off of Adobe Illustrator, well, that would be crazy because that's extremely expensive. So yeah, we provide access to that software in the space, but if we want our patrons to be designers at home, we better be able to support Inkscape and other free open source software programs. And we better know what they are, you know, yeah. because otherwise we're messaging that this is a privileged space. Um, and so I think that, you know, just kind of recognizing the, just those little ways that those things can show themselves, it's very important to, um, to try to just have self-awareness or be able to listen when people say, hey, how come I don't have compatibility with the, you know, the design software that you're running in the space? So um, it's a, that's a little bit of a, a vague answer to your question and not as specific um, as like individuals. I mean, there, you know, there were incredible individual partners um, when building uh, building 61. Um, but I would say that it was a constant process of, you know, looking outwards and looking inwards and, you know, doing the best that we could uh, to, to make the space reflect the community. And one of the programs that we did early on was um, one where we worked with Bridge House, which uh, helps um, transition folks who are without a home into the workforce. And so we also um, did apprenticeship programs where we paid our apprentices to come in and learn woodworking skills and, um, and, and get workforce development uh, skills uh, in the wood shop. And so that was also a strong message because we, we ran workshops where our apprentices were the, um, the ones teaching the general public how to use certain tools in the, in the makerspace. And Unreal. that is a powerful dynamic switch. When you're talking about somebody who, you know, some of these individuals were um, just three months prior without a home. Um, and to then have them in a position of teaching others. I mean, that was a very powerful um, dynamic to be able to, to work towards. So I think that, you know, 
there are powerful ways, but you got to spend time. You got to do the work. I mean, it's, it takes a lot of time to build these things. And if you were to talk to Adam Watts, um, oh my gosh, the, the, the amount of hours that he and I spent together, I don't know that another human has spent that kind of time with me before. Um, because <laughs> when we, when we started building 61, we would work like these hundred hour weeks. And then we'd be like, Hey, we forgot to eat. And then it'd be like 10 o'clock and we'd go out to eat. And then we would just keep talking about work. It was just, it was, it was amazing. So I feel like the other and the real answer to that question, now that I'm making this very long is, is you don't do it alone. You do it with at least with someone else, but ideally with a great team because you, you will always be bigger than the sum of your parts. I mean, what we created, I never could have created it by myself, like not even a fraction of it. And I think Adam would probably tell you, yeah, it wouldn't have been the same if we, if we weren't working together. Um, so there was something really magical about that dynamic. You, you're touching on something that I, I re just love is this concept of, it's not even a concept. We all know this, we're familiar with it, but it's trust, yeah. right? You couldn't, none of this could have been built if you didn't have trust. And if that wasn't the case, then it just wouldn't have happened. You wouldn't have trusted the opinions that were in the space. You wouldn't have, you know, been open to any criticism or anything. I couldn't that. agree with you more. And this is one of the things that I will say that um, is so special about working in public libraries. So the Boulder Public Library is phenomenal. They trusted yeah. us with everything. And working in a traditional school is extremely different because the stakes are totally different. And I, I don't want to say that there's not trust. I mean, there is trust, but it's a much more... Um, I don't know, controlled environment because schools have so many things to report out and so many responsibilities to uphold. And there's something that's kind of, you're tethered to those things in a way that in a public library or in a community center, you're very free, you're very liberated to kind of explore the experimental. Whereas in a traditional school, you're, you know, you're going to, you're going to butt up against a lot of aversion to taking those kind of creative risks. And, um, and so that's been some of the, um, the learning that I've undertaken in the last couple of years out here is figuring out how do you, how do you create that safe space for other educators to say, oh, maybe, like, maybe I can try something like that too. And maybe, it, maybe it's a good idea. You know, maybe it's not um, just because it's unknown or just because I haven't done it before. Maybe there's something worthwhile here. So it's a different story to tell and it's a different, you know, um, pathway to get to. So, um, so that there is, there is some, there are some nuances there that are really interesting. Well, that's super. I mean, that's the, that's the beauty of your story is that you have now gotten a chance to build things in both, both sides of the coin, right? Mm -hmm. One that is controlled yes. and one that was complete freedom. And so you're, mm -hmm. you know, wherever you end up wandering off to next, which I'm sure is going to be unreal. But it, <laughs> you're going to have that under your belt. And that's just yeah. going to be super helpful. Yeah. I know that we're running a little short on time because you probably got a class to teach or something. But I wanted to <laughs> ask uh, these last two questions. And I think we've covered this one uh, for the most part. But I'd just love to hear how you verbalize it. What do you wish more youth knew today as it pertains to living life? I mean, if there's just one thing. 
that, that they matter so much, like their ideas are worth listening to and they're worth figuring out what they are. If you don't hear something in your head right now, that means like, let's do some inward work to figure out like what that passion is. Because I really, I really believe every single student is so gifted, is so talented. And if they don't feel like school is for them or they don't feel like, they feel like they've been rejected from everything over and over and over again, it is, there is something there worth doing. It is, I don't know, the, the power of um, believing in yourself and having that agency to, to just explore your passion, to take that time to figure out like, what is it that I wanna do? Like whether that's a product that you make or a piece of art that's gonna go up on the wall, what do you want the little blurb to say about you? Like, what do you want your, your legacy to be? right? Like I want students to be thinking about that right now. Like, what do you want to be known for? Because what you do matters. And, um, and I just, I just feel like there's so much power when you start putting uh, a physicality to like ideas, when you start going from something in your head to seeing it come to life, that you are the steward of that. You did that. You made that. Like, what are you going to make next? Yeah. Like that's, that is, that's who we are, right? Like, this is what we do as humans. We do, we do like two things really well. And Adam used to say this, and I'm totally stealing it from him. Um, You know, we, we make cool stuff and we tell good stories. And that is what a makerspace is. And that is what every student should be finding in themselves. Make cool stuff and tell your story. That's awesome. That's so good. All right, last question. And it's, you, you answered it and I just kind of want to hear you verbalize it. And I think you just basically answered your question, but <laughs> it's, you've, you've done, I mean, you've built, you've built, I mean, you built a space. I mean, that's crazy. You built a community. You've done those things. You've left that community for another community, which is awesome. And for those of us who are kind of, just on that edge of, okay, well, I've been in this community now. I'm leaving everything behind, going to this next one. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're in DC, you know, you, you, that's, it's loaded in terms of at, the atmosphere and the tension that exists there. Is there something that you would say to someone that's kind of teetering the fence right now saying, I just don't know, I'm giving up comfort. I mean, building 61, you, you kind of, it was, it was amazing. I mean, <laughs> you know, and you just, it was your child, uh, of some, of sorts mm-hmm. and you built that thing. What, what would be your advice for that? God, I, that I feel, I feel that. Yeah. That leap is hard. Sometimes it happens for you. Like when you get laid off and it doesn't feel good. And sometimes <laughs> you have to make Sometimes you get to make a decision and decide which path to, t- to take as you go forward. Um, what I will say to that is that, you know, I, I love building 61. It is my baby. I think about it all the time. And I am so grateful that I was a part of a space that continues to grow after I left and it, and it will always continue to grow. It is something that, that lives on its own now that is so special. And I'm so grateful that I can let it go. There is something beautiful about that, that it is not mine. It is, it is not owned by me. Um, so 
I miss it and I love it and I appreciate the community there tremendously. Um, but it is not mine. It is, it is something much bigger than that. So what I will say to that, because I think it's such a great question, is that even if you do make a decision and you end up somewhere that might not be, you know, your perfect space, there is always so much to learn. I mean, I will say that about Washington Leadership Academy. I am, I have skills now that I never could have gotten any other way. And they were difficult ones to get. They were not comfortable ones to get. Working as a teacher in a pandemic is not easy. Doing hands-on learning over Zoom is not easy when we have tech difficulties with our student body. But I have learned things that I never could have any other way. And that to me is such a beautiful gift that I will always be grateful for. And I know that whatever comes next, even if it's uncomfortable and difficult and, and strange and challenging, and you know, I might question myself, um, I know that I will learn from it and it will change me. It will affect me in a way that will make me bigger and you know, having a, a more, a broader experience base for where I go after that. So I always think about it as a trajectory and the more stories you have to tell, the more interesting your life becomes. So, you know, I just, it is an adventure and it is easy to kind of like say that with a smile now, but I know it from some rough times too. And, um, and I just, I don't know, I think that there's something really important and valuable about recognizing like you do need to get yourself out of your own comfort zone in order to grow and growth, just like a child, like a child going through growth, there's growing pains. I mean, it is literally painful to transition into something new. It is important to be like validated when you feel that way um, and not be told like, you should just be comfortable with it right away. No way. It is mm. uncomfortable. It is painful. But the fact that you are in that space, it's like what I said about failure, right? Like it means you're doing something. You're growing, you're doing something. Like your body is like physically learning stuff. That's amazing. That is an amazing thing. It is not comfortable and it's not a steady state. It is, it is in transition where that happens. But I think that the more that you get those under your belt, the more interesting your storyline becomes. And we all have a story to tell. I, I think sometimes yeah. we just forget that. We forget yeah. that. Everyone yeah. has a story to tell. And you might be going through something in your life right now where you're going, man, what have I really done? But you'd be surprised. Um, if you Definitely. sat down on a piece of paper and, and looked at the decades because everyone you're out there all right you, people are out <laughs> there and I just want you to know that you're freaking awesome uh, yeah. how can people support WLA I saw that there were ways to get involved with volunteering is there remote volunteering available right now or even if you're in the DC area I don't know how active that is but you would know more yeah, if you go to WLA.org, you'll find um, links to what's going on at the school. And what hopefully will be happening later this semester is students' businesses will be launched through the website. So you can go and support students by buying their stuff um, and seeing what they're making and kind of getting exposed to the cool stuff that's coming out of um, the student body at WLA. So that that is all going to be coming soon, but you can always find it on the website. That's awesome. And then how can people follow you? Is that LinkedIn, uh, Twitter? 
ways? Yeah, uh, LinkedIn or Instagram. Um, I am SpacemakerJ on Instagram, and uh, and I share a lot of the stuff that I do with my students, and um, and so, some of the stuff that I'm doing in my in my personal life making. So you can always follow me there. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Oh my gosh, this like warmed up my heart so much. <laughs> my, I'm just ready to go. Uh, this is Scott, great. Thank you so much. Appreciate you. Thank you. I appreciate you so much too. This has been wonderful.